And good afternoon. Chuck Morse here, Left Right Radio, Monday through Friday, 12 noon, um, syndicated on YouTube and all the other networks the shows carried by. Um, I've got guests I'm lining up uh, this week. I've got David Horowitz coming on next week, the author of Radical Son. Uh, I really admire David Horowitz. I've read several of his books, Tremendous Mind, one of the great thinkers of um, really of our times, actually. I mean, I've, I've followed him carefully over the years. He takes on the left on college campuses, and he does so um, from a position of, of um, experience because he's a man of the left previously. He had been editor of Ramparts Magazine back in the 1960s and 70s. Um, so what's going on today? I mean, a couple of things come to mind. Um, first of all, the passing of um, the late, great First Lady Barbara Bush, a wife of H. George H.W. Bush and mother of George W. Bush. I, I think that uh, Barbara Bush was um, a very admirable woman, a, a straight shooter, as it were. I think she had a moderating influence on both her husband and her son. She's a great example of a mother and, and a wife and a very well-achieved person, not the kind of person who would put a fist down and demand policy changes, but the sort of person who used a kind of quiet influence by example. very A very Christian attitude, actually, particularly a very Catholic attitude. I mean, Catholics don't go out on the street and, and hit you over the head, you know, come to Jesus. You know, that, that's not what they do. They tend to try to bring the good word forth by example, uh, by how they live their lives, how they present themselves, and... Um, and when you see that, it, it makes you change or it makes you uh, think about who you are and, and, and improve yourself because you see them improving themselves. I mean, of course, I'm talking in an ideal sense because we're all human beings and most of and none of us are perfect. Many of us far from it. And some of us are not interested in, in such examples. But there is a part of human nature that wants to make the world a better place. And, you know, to do so without you know, the, the, a coercive force like the left does with, with government worshiping the state or with necessarily a, a blatant way of going out and, then, you know, banging on the door, you know, but simply by, by being a strong presence, by being who you are and by leading by example, it actually goes a lot further. And I think that's what I think of when I think of the late First Lady Barbara Bush. There's also the whole brouhaha today about Starbucks, and I'm going to weigh into this one. Um, two men were in a Starbucks in Philadelphia, happened to be African-American. They uh, went in. They wanted to use the bathroom. The uh, clerk said, you know, you have to buy something first. They didn't buy anything. They sat down, and the clerk decided that they were loitering and eventually called the police, which I think is an overreaction. And the men were taken out of the store with handcuffs. Uh, one of them filmed it on his cell phone. Um, is it a race issue? Race, I think, certainly had a part in it, but I don't think it was the whole story. Um, on the one hand, if you see what these guys looked like, they were pretty tough, pretty burly looking guys. One of them had a big black beard that kind of, I, I, I don't know, I'm not going to be politically correct here, but it looked a little bit like the cut of an Islamic beard. And um, 
you know, they did, you know, they could, you could say they looked intimidating, which leads me to suggest that if they had been white and looked like that, they also probably would have been asked to leave. Um, you know, they just looked menacing. Whereas if they had been black and they looked more like, uh, you know, well-dressed, maybe studious looking, not as big and as burly, maybe like Urkel in the TV program, then they would not have been asked to leave. They would not have drawn attention to themselves, but they did draw attention to themselves. Now, I think to ask them to leave and to call the police is a gross overreaction, but I would only suggest that race only played a part in it. It was a part of it. You know, it's easy for me to say, you know, it wasn't because I don't, I can pass as white. People look at me, they assume I'm white and that, yeah, uh, if I were black, you know, I would be treated differently. I'm not in any way denying that. And I have no idea what it's like to be a black man in America because I'm not black. And I can, I understand and respect the fact that black people are treated differently, that they do stand out and that we react to them. Many people, we all do in a certain extent, react to race. We react to all sorts of stimuli. There's no question about that. And that um, I would suggest that if a black man who looks a certain way you know, they're going to get a certain kind of a reaction. Um, I just briefly will recall that um, in, in, in a previous job of mine, there was a good, there was a man that worked there, also happened to be black, a very nice guy, very friendly guy. Um, one of the, uh, certainly a, a not in any way an intimidating fellow, a very pleasant man and a very professional uh, person. And I felt very friendly toward him. But he did have a tough appearance, and he had, you know, his bald, you know, shaved head. He had tattoos. He had tough, you know, he looked a bit scary, and he was big. And he often would say that he was, a, you know, was very aware of the fact that, you know, the police would stop him. Um, and even if he put his hand in his pocket, and if he was in a black neighborhood because they thought he might be drawing a gun, and that he was worried about his own safety, and, and and my thought about that was that, um, you know, he is a bit scary looking, white or black, and race plays a role in these things. But it's not the whole story. You know, it has a lot to do with the way he dresses, the way he carries himself, and the way he looks. And we all make judgments like that. Unfortunately, in this world of ours, African-American men do carry out a big percentage of the crimes that are committed and often committed primarily against other black people. And so sure, there is a certain profiling that goes on. Um, I remember reading a book about a mafia figure. I think it was uh, Bonanno uh, or Joe, they call him Joe Bananas, who talked about growing up in Chicago in the 1920s and often being intimidated and harassed by police and taken in because they stereotyped him because he looked Italian. And he looked scary. And back at that particular time in history, it was the Italians who were carrying out, Italian men who were carrying out a lot of the street crimes. So they were profiled in that way. Uh, that changed because Italians, you know, became more middle class and they developed uh, income and they, they stopped gradually their, their criminal ways of doing things. And so that particular stereotype waned. And, you know, you see an Italian man now in the street, you don't think that they're going to commit a crime because nowadays they don't. Uh, so a lot of these uh, stereotypes 
it's it's yes, race is part of it, but it has more to do with um, social factors that are occurring. I would contend in a given community, and I think that has a lot to do with what was going on at Starbucks. Now, as far as Starbucks goes, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic and it's a little almost amusing that you have this politically correct company of left liberal ownership, uh, a major liberal prominent left wing uh, owner who's a big contributor to liberal left candidates and causes and, and a kind of a liberal left image, you know, kind of like that crunchy, gooey, you know, you know, nice, you know, you know, beautiful image of, of, of progressivism, you know, with the, with the uh, designer, you know, lighting and the, you know, the, the certain wood tones and, and it's all like, we're going to sit around like uh, intellectuals in the, in the fin de siècle period in Paris and drink fancy lattes and spend $5 for a cup of coffee while we talk about Camus and James Joyce and, uh, and, and Hemingway. And we're very smart people. And we're going to discuss uh, Carlyle and, and the great philosophers. And, you know, it has this sort of veneer of liberalism and left-leaningism and it cultivates that image, which, of course, we're told has the, is the last type of image that you would expect to be racist. Then, of course, you have a place like Dunkin' Donuts here in Boston and other coffee places, which are much more appealing to kind of the more blue collar type. You know, people like myself, although I like Starbucks, don't get me wrong. But, you know, people who are out there working for a living, people who are blue collar workers, laborers, you know, and, and they're, they're not being accused of racism. Last I checked, you know, and yet the Starbucks situation, according to what I'm listening to today on uh, Progressive Radio, is it wasn't just an isolated incident. There, uh, Starbucks is uncomfortable with black men coming in and, 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 lawyer, and sitting there and having, you know, taking a lot of time. There really is a sort of a subtle racist feeling in Starbucks. I would just suggest, and this is only speaking... Uh, from from a very surface level here, because I really haven't had a chance to think it through and absorb it. I'll acknowledge that. But I would suggest that it is because they are liberal, both in their culture and in their uh, personnel makeup, that they do have a racist tendency. They're hyper-race conscious. They are aware of somebody coming in when they're black. They think about this. You know, and and they do cater to a very liberal audience, which is predominantly white. I would bet you that more white people go in there than black and more black people probably go to Dunkin Donuts than than Starbucks. You know, the audience is those liberal left, you know, Upper East Side, New York, you know, the wealthiest top one percent neighborhoods, you know, the super, you know, race conscious college areas. You know, in other words, liberals, and most of them are white, and most of them live in a white world um, and, and operate with white people, you know, um, and, you know, people like Elizabeth Warren, you know, they, they don't come across probably too many African-Americans in their daily life. And so they are race conscious. And maybe in their case, it is subconscious. Maybe they do need to purge themselves, right? 
you know, while the rest of us get on with our life and get on with our work, you know, these people, maybe they should put themselves under the microscope and have like, you know, sessions of um, self-criticism. Maybe that is what they need. And it all emanates, I would suggest, from their own hyper-racist racial view of the world where everything comes down to race and that every little move has to be viewed within the context of race. Uh, the fact that this is becoming a big story, in a way, shows how far we've come in this country in terms of race relations. Because this, you know, this was the kind of thing that, you know, back in the in the 60s or 50s or before the civil rights movement, black people really were banned from going into certain locations. You know, there really was real racism, real discrimination. And so, yes, this one incident is not good. But the fact that the entire stores, all how many thousands of them are now being held up as as um, super racist, um, you know, maybe that does, again, show how far we've come in terms of, of the, 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 the receding of racism, because, you know, one incident has become such a major deal when, in fact, these sorts of things were probably more commonplace. 30, 40, 50 years ago. So those are my thoughts on that. Um, check out my books. They're available at Amazon Books, Amazon.com. Um, and of course, the program, you can subscribe to this program on YouTube. Obviously, I'm trying to build up um, a, a YouTube subscription. Let me just end it with just one final thought. I'm listening this morning to... Uh, this one of these liberal NPR type programs where people talk with their British accents, you know, their phony accents. And they had this historian on um, Meacham. I think his name is John Meacham. I've heard him before. Good historian. You know, I think he wrote a book about, um, about uh, the, the murder of, of um, Meriwether Lewis, which, by the way, is a subject that I cover in my new book, which will be coming out in a month or so. Um, from the Lewis and Clark expedition, uh, but very biased and very liberal and very kind of a, a Democrat um, partisan. And, you know, he, uh, he made reference, they were talking about Barbara Bush, and he made reference to the fact, or according to him, that uh, Barbara Bush reminds us of a time that was more civic in this country, where people cared more about each other where we had more love for each other, where we had, in other words, wink, wink at Donald Trump. I mean, this is an unusual attack on Trump because, you know, you, I've heard this and I bring it up. I'm only bringing him up as an example because I hear this. It's like it, it's become so inculcated into our left wing thinking that it, it's all like a, this, these times of horror they just haven't gotten over the, the election, and they're still going after him, of course. Now they're trotting out his entire sexual past. That's all they have left, hopefully. And, you know, it's disgusting, and they should be, they, 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 this is, they should really be excoriated for that. Um, but, you know, it's all this horror of incivility, that we don't respect anyone anymore, and all this stuff. It's a bunch of BS. Um, and, and they're not talking about amazing developments on the Trump administration. They're already writing the history books to condemn Trump 
for some stupid comment he might have made or some rude remark or some something he said that might have been a little cruel when they're ignoring the fact, for example, that China just backed down from having a trade war and they're now cooperating with the United States and recognizing that a, a couple of tariffs on Chinese imports is actually a fair and correct thing to do to balance the trade deficit. Trump is doing something now that successive administrations, both Democrat and Republican, have talked about doing. None of them had the nerve to do it. Trump has done it, and it's working. And there are other major developments. But of course, that's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to all make vague references to these horrible times, and we're going to talk about some hooker that he had a one-night affair with 10 years ago. Shame on all of them. You know, get over your horrible times and stop, you know, look, look into what we're doing today in this country and look to a future and take a look at maybe some of these the phony ideologies that you were embracing and that actually constituted these horrible times. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. I shall return the usual time tomorrow at 12 noon, live on Facebook, and uh, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and iTunes and all the rest. Have a good day, everybody.